What is up? This is Perry Noble, and you're about to listen to a message from this year's NLC conference at New Spring Church. Before, but before you do, don't forget, next year, go ahead and save the date. Registration has not began, but September 6th of next year, that would be 2012, we're going to have NLC here at New Spring Church again with Stephen Furtick, Judd Wilhite, Andy Stanley, James McDonald, Matt Chandler, Judah Smith, and myself. It's going to be an amazing day. I hope you can join us. But for now, I hope you really enjoy this talk from NLC this past year. All right. How are we doing, guys? Come on, it may be the afternoon, but you got a little more in you, right? You're not turning the red card over on me yet, right? You're good? All right. I'm telling you, it's been amazing, hasn't it? I've sat through every session just like you have. I've cried. I've laughed. You know, a few of these guys have pulled my heart out, held it in their hand as it beat and put it back in, you know, and uh, it's been wonderful, a wonderful experience. I'm so honored to just be able to be here and uh, be able to share with you. So uh, thanks for that privilege. I'm going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You want to follow along there? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, man, how about the band too? They awesome or what? I just want to go on record. I picked that Mumford song and they killed it. I'm in the back like, they're killing it. They're slaying it. It was awesome. So 2 Corinthians 5. You know, I, I was thinking recently about my son. He's, uh, he's a little older now, but when he was like three years old, uh, we took him to Disneyland, and you know we just thought he might be old enough to be able to move off the Dumbo rides and get on some of the real rides. And so we did what every young parent does. You know, we spiked his hair up real high because you got to meet the minimum height requirement. You know, some of you stuck stuffed socks in the in the shoes of your kids. You know, I remember getting Ethan and kind of positioning him and saying, "Now listen to me, dude. When you get up to that little bar that measures your height, I want you to do this real, real gently, just." So don't do it overtly, just real subtly, just kind of go up and then come back down. So he did, and we barely cleared the height requirement, and he was able to go, and they're like, you can ride just about everything at Disneyland. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. So the first thing we do is we go on this roller coaster called Space Mountain. I don't know if you've ever been there, Space Mountain, it's a killer roller coaster. You know, you're going 50, 60 miles an hour, you're inside a mountain, so it's completely dark, right? You don't know what's coming next, you got strobe lights flashing. At the time, they were playing the music to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, really loud, like on the ride, and so... We get seated on the, on the, on, in the little cart, and, and I notice, I look over at him, and he's sitting there, and like he can't even see past the back of the seat in front of him, you know? He's just sort of sitting there, big-eyed, and they bring the bar down, you know, that's supposed to hold you in, but it's like a foot off of his waist, you know? It doesn't even get down close to him, and he looks up at me, and he's scared out of his mind, and I'm like, dude, dad is not going to let anything happen to you. Just hang on with me. It's going to be a blast. Trust me. This is way better than the Dumbo ride, okay? And so... Man, boom, the cart leaves the station, the roller coaster starts going, and here we go. And this thing is flying. And what I notice immediately is he's really not harnessed in his seat. Every time this thing turns, he comes flying over and hits me, and then he goes flying over and hits the wall. So I know we're in trouble, right? Not far out of the gate. Then at one point, the strobe light flashes in just such a way that I'm able to look over and see him. And we're on a turn, and I realize he's not, his neck muscles are not strong enough to hold his head up on the turn. And so he's like, you know, he's like literally, like, and I'm like, dude, I reach over and then we hit this other turn. And before I can get him, he moves. And now he's like, you know, on this side. So on the whole rest of the time, I'm just trying to prop his head up. You know, I'm just holding it in between my hands, trying to keep this little dude like alive. Right. We get to the end. I'm like, Ethan, that was amazing. We did it, man. What did you think? And he goes, that was scary, dad. That was really, really scary. 
And I'm like, you want to go again? And he's like, no, I don't want to go again. And I was thinking about that experience. And I think if I'm honest with you, the last three years particularly of ministry for me have felt a lot like that roller coaster ride for my son. You get on and you don't know where you're going, but you're going about 50 miles an hour in the dark to the music of the red hot chili peppers. You got flea jamming, you got strobe lights flashing. You don't know where the ups are, where the downs are, where the lefts are, where the rights are. You're getting thrown around in the car and you're wondering, is my heavenly father going to allow me to go flying out of the seat or is he gonna hold me in and tether me down in this moment? And you start asking questions like, man, you know, what kind of year is this next year going to be? Are we going to face more cutbacks? Or are we going to be able to advance things? Are we going to be able to launch more campuses or launch more churches? Or are we going to have to pull things back? You know, are we going to be able to benchmark on last year? Or because of the economy and other things, do we have really any idea what to benchmark things on moving forward? And we all know that experience where it's up, it's down, it's left and right. It's the roller coaster of ministry. And the truth is, some of us are here and, man, it just feels scary. You're not sure what's coming. You don't sure, you're not sure what's next. You're not sure what God has for you in the midst of that. And I want to talk to you about how we can deal with that roller coaster. It's true for all of us. You know, I, I get the offering report on Sunday afternoon, two hours after I've preached five times, when I'm appropriately exhausted and depleted. And I'm sitting there, and I hear the ping on my phone. Ping! And it's like the sound of a roller coaster about to leave the station. And I go to my phone and I can hear Andy and Craig in my head saying, don't live week to week. Meaning, don't base your emotional state and experiences on your offering this week and your attendance this week and all of that. You can't live week to week. We all know this, right? I know this. But I'm, I'm just telling you straight up, this is what I do. I hit open on that email and it is like, man, if the offering's good, I'm like, dude, God loves us. We're rocking the free world. I mean, the Holy Spirit is moving in our church. Those people that left and took shots at us on the way out, ha! You know, those people that say the music is too loud in the auditorium, turn it up. That's kind of where I'm at when the offering's good. I'm like, dude, it's awesome. Things are good. But when the offering's bad, I suck. God's through with me. I'll never preach like these guys we've heard preach today. I'll never be able to lead like some of the guys I idolize. We're never going to advance the mission forward. We're never going to become the church that God, I think, desires us to be. Maybe I really should, you know, go make coffee for a living. Maybe I should go do something. Maybe our children's ministry sucks and I just don't know it. Maybe, our, where's the breakdown? Maybe our hospitality ministry. Maybe we're just freaking mean and I just think we're nice. You know, where is the, maybe it's all me. And it's the roller coaster of ministry. And aren't we all on it? We're all on it. Yours may have nothing to do with the offering. And if you're not a senior pastor, well, it probably doesn't. But you're still on the roller coaster, right? I mean, it may be drama between you and your student ministry volunteers and the tension that's going on there. It could be drama between you and your worship leader. It could be that your senior pastor doesn't get it. And you're trying to deal with the emotional ups and downs of trying to manage your place in that relationship and your place in your city. It could be any number of things for you. The management of staff, the hiring and firing of staff, the reviewing of staff. And I'll tell you one of the most painful things in ministry, 
growth when you outgrow people that you love and you have to transition them off. And the drama of that, and it never ends. It just keeps going and it can get exhausting. How do we stay grounded in ministry when it feels like we're up and down and we're left and right and, man, we're feeling good and we're despairing and it's like our life reads like, reads like the book of Psalms, right? You know, David's like, God, I praise you. You rock. You're amazing. Next Psalm, I want to die. <laughs> have you noticed this? You read through the Psalms and you're like, dude, they have medication for this stuff now. But I mean, but ministry tends to bring those extremes out in our lives, and we ride that roller coaster. So I want to talk to you about staying grounded. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 gives us some great principles into how to stay grounded in the ups and the downs of ministry. 2 Corinthians 5, look at verse 11. Paul says, God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Are we commending ourselves to you again? He says, no, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Now, this is, this is good. In fact, to me, one of the most powerful messages that I hope you've already heard today, and if you haven't, hear it now, is the first two words of this passage where he just says, God knows. In fact, let's just bring that back up on the screen. God knows. He knows where you're at. He knows your heart. He knows the critics that are coming after you. He knows the haters that are lobbing stuff your way. He knows the dynamics that you're facing in your ministry. God knows. And not only that, understand, Paul is writing this to the Corinthians because he's got haters in his ministry. He's got people coming after him. He's got people lobbing bombs, emails, blogging in the equivalent of the ancient world about him. He's facing all this, and he writes to the Corinthians to say, listen, let me give you some uh, resources so that you know how to deal with this situation on my behalf. And he says, listen, God knows our heart. God knows we're sincere. At the end of the day, that's ultimately what matters. And then he goes on and he says, we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so that you can, he makes this distinction between th those who brag about a spectacular ministry and those who have a sincere heart. Listen, your responsibility before God is not a spectacular ministry. Your responsibility before God is a faithful and sincere heart. It's as simple as that. And if you have, we listen to these speakers that we've heard up to, I mean, literally some of the best in the world have graced this stage and God has worked through them and they've challenged us. They've spoken to us and we look at them and we go, their ministry is spectacular, but it's spectacular, not because they focused on having a spectacular ministry. I hope you've already experienced this because they focused on having a faithful and sincere heart. And when you focus on having a faithful and sincere heart for God, you're opening your up to be a channel for him and your ministry will be way more successful than it could have ever been if you're focusing on trying to have a spectacular ministry and when you're focused on a spectacular ministry here's what happens i've done it you ride the highs inappropriately and you ride the lows inappropriately in ministry but when you focus on your heart and being faithful before god It'll help you weather that stuff. So let me share with you some principles from this passage, some things that I've seen in my own life to help me sort of weather the ups and downs of ministry. First one is this. First way we can stay grounded in the roller coaster of ministry, do a gut check. You may have already done one today, a gut check. And I'm not talking about the moment right before you get in the shower when you get the side view in the mirror and you look over and you're like, 
you know, you pull it in and it's still there. I'm talking about a different kind of gut check, okay? I mean, we do that gut check and it wasn't pretty then, it's not pretty now, right? But this is, this is a gut check where we begin to look in at our heart, at our ambitions, at our motives. It's what I've loved about the, the New Spring Leadership Conference so far is I've gotten a gut check. I mean, it, it's been great and powerful. And I've been wrestling with this out in my life over the last couple months. You know, Perry and I, uh, we both turned 40 this year. We also both lost our fathers this summer. And um, we talked a little bit about that. But I tell you, two months ago, my father passed away. He's the most um, godly, wonderful man I've ever known in my life. And, um, man, hearing you talk, Perry, about your dad. Ah. I went and see him. I went to see him in the hospital. And, um, you know, I'm standing there and my dad's, he's freaking like 89. I mean, he's ready to die. You know, he's lived a long time, right? He's a World War II vet, dropped out of high school to serve in the war, fought in the Battle of the Bulge, all the way up into Germany, the whole deal. Great business owner, small, you know, just a godly man. I'm standing by his bed and he's got all the tubes in him and he looks up at me. He goes, man, it's about time to wrap this up. And I didn't, you know, for a minute, I'm like, dude, are you saying what I think you're saying? You know, it kind of faded out for a while. And then he sat up again and he goes, you know, it's time to let her rip. And he kind of faded out again. And I'm, like, I'm not exactly sure what's going on. but you know. and, then, and after that, he had a few more lucid moments, you know, like he, he kind of came to and you know, he was mad because his defibrillator kept going off and it was just zapping the crap out of him, you know, like, and he thought it was keeping him alive, even though technically it probably wasn't, but he thought it was like keeping, he's like, somebody get that doctor in here. I paid him a lot of money and I should be dead by now. Turn this thing off. I mean, so, you know, I I just want you to know, I'm grieving the loss of my father, but I'm happy for him as well. You know, like he needed to go home. But I go around and I grab his hand and I'm sitting beside his bed and he has this really lucid moment. It was my last sort of lucid moment with him. He looks me in the eyes and he just says, you're good kids and I love you and I'm going to see you on the other side. And he goes, I'm going for a walk in the sunshine. He smiled real big, turned his face. And that's the moment that I will hang on to. But here's what it did for me. I walked out of that moment, and the last two months, it's rattled me because I realized in a fresh way that, man, at the end of my life, at the end of your life, nobody cares how many people attended your church. Nobody will care how many campuses you had, how big the square footage is of your building. All that matters in the end is our relationship with God and the people that we love the most. It is not about having a spectacular ministry. It's about a faithful and sincere heart. And my last words to my father was, I thanked him for being a man of God and a man of character. And I gave him my word. I was going to follow in his footsteps to the best of my ability. And I'm just telling you, that was a grounding moment for me. That it's about being faithful to God. And some of you, you need that today. Because you come to a place like this, and as much as we all love Perry and New Spring and the whole thing, I mean, I know some of you are walking outside, and you just feel like crap. 
You feel like crap because you're going back to your ministry and it ain't nothing like this. <laughs> you know, the best moment of the conference was your email doesn't come through in this room. But then you went outside and you got four emails of five angry people and three people turned the music down and two people are frustrated because of this and three people are, you got your offering report today. How are you doing with that? <laughs> right? But it's about a faithful and a sincere heart. It's not about a spectacular ministry. Another thing that I did is I did counseling and uh, sat down with the counselor and he had me talking about my life. And I recommend counseling for all of you in leadership, particularly those of you who think you don't need it. I didn't need it. I didn't have any problems. Everything was good. But I thought I'd go, you know, just because I was burning out and depressed. And anyway, (laughs) but I'm good. Everything's good. I'm unpacking my life and he's talking to me and he says, you know, Judd, I keep hearing you say this phrase over and over and over again as you're telling your story. He says, you keep saying, I did it on my own with God. And he goes, what's interesting is your emphasis, you don't realize it, but your emphasis as you're describing this is, I did it on my own. And I'm like, you're smoking crack, man. I didn't say that. What are you talking about? He goes, no, you, you said it several times. And we develop a logic in our hearts and in our relationship with God that often doesn't come from God. It comes from our background and books and leadership things and things we assimilate, but it's not necessarily biblical. He goes, one of the logics that you've developed in your life that's led to burnout and some other things is, I'll do it on my own. Because you can just drop the with God part. And I'm sitting there listening to him, and it was a gut check. And I had to go back. And what I've been learning over the last season since then is, man, he's right. I do so many things on my own. When Craig put up there, you know, how many of you say, you know, it's about me? I stood up because I'm like, yeah, I know it's about God, but I still try to do too much in my own power, in my own strength, in my own ability. I need to repent of that. And I need God to move in my heart and forgive me of that and lead me to making it about him. All I'm saying is this. If you don't do a gut check, you don't ever really get grounded for ministry. And we need to do it again and again and again in our life so that we can handle the ups and the downs. Here's another principle, and it sounds a little counterintuitive when you think about the roller coaster of ministry. And that's this. Stay a little crazy for God. Stay a little crazy for God. Um, I was walking in Caesars recently uh, with a friend of mine, and he's walking along, and uh, he did something I'd never seen anybody do before in my life, either before or since. It was absolutely other. It was unbelievable. We're in the midst of a conversation, and mid-sentence, as he's talking to me, he threw up. I mean, it, it, it actually formed part of a word, you know, anymore. I won't do it. I'll stop there. Perry will be doing that for you later on, but I'm going to stop right there. He he was like mid-sentence. I mean, have you ever seen somebody throw up mid-sentence? No warning, no like, you know, I'm not feeling so well. I might, you know, none of this like, hey, let's let's go back to the restroom. Could there be a restroom here? You know, it's like, we're just like, yeah, man, anyway, so how you doing? I'm good. You know, guy just threw chunks right everywhere. And And I'm a sympathetic vomiter. How many of you are sympathetic vomiters? Yeah. Yeah, it's all funny until it starts happening around you. And if you're, if you're really a sympathetic vomiter, you're not laughing, man. You're just trying to keep it down. <laughs> breathe, 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 breathe. You know, just keep it down, right? So we're walking along. This guy throws up, and I'm in shock. I'm like, 
And then immediately, I, I mean, I'm, I'm about to dry heave. You know, I'm like, oh, oh. So we keep walking. We get a few, you know, about 10 or 15 feet further down the way. And then I, I say, are you all right? He says, feel better now. <laughs> I'm like, I said, you, you think you're going to throw up again? He goes, I might. <laughs> okay. Well, I knew there was a restroom back the other way. So I sort of grab his arm and, and we, we were at the forum shops actually. And we turn around to go back the other way. And when we do, we saw something I will never forget. This poor woman, she walks right into the mess. She's 15 feet away. It's like slow motion, you know, like the dun, 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 dun. and you sort of look up and you, you, you can't really do anything about it at that point. Both feet up in the air, bam, right down on her backside. It's as bad as you think it is, man. It's even worse. And I'm like, oh. And now nobody really knows that this guy was the one who did it because it, we're in the flow of people and he threw up mid-stride, mid, mid you know, and we just sort of kept moving. So now we're going back the other way, right? And we're walking past them. And I'm thinking at this point, like, what's the point of letting them know it was him? You know, we're good. We get up, I still see her, she's laying there. When we kind of get a few more steps closer to her, she goes, what's this? I want to say that's Mexican, but you you don't want to know. (laughs) What's this? Well, at that point, sympathetic vomiter, I had to look away. And my friend's like, he's about ready to go again. I got a ticking time bomb going on. I'm like, come with me, you know, and so we keep walking down the hall, but as we're turning and he's throwing up again, I look back and her two friends come up beside her, and this, is, this was powerful to me. They didn't pay any attention to the mess. They knew what it was. They didn't worry about their arms getting nasty. They reached down and they grabbed their friend by her arm, and they both on each side of her picked her up on her feet. And I thought it was a beautiful picture of the church. And it was a little crazy. I mean, Andy said it so well. you got to run towards the mess. And in church ministry, it's messy, right? Sometimes you create the mess. Sometimes you walk into somebody else's mess. Sometimes by the time you show up, they're already down on their backside in the middle of the mess saying, what's this? And they don't need you to come by and go, that's a mess. This is not helpful. You know, they don't need you to just come by and go, you deserve that mess. You fell in that mess, dummy. Can't you see that's a mess? Don't you know the Bible says that that's a mess and you're in the mess? That's part of the message. But what they really need is for us to come by and help them get up. I always say, look, ministry is messy because sin is messy. Get over it, get a mop, and help people clean up. That's what we're called to do in our lives. But it, it, it feels a little crazy sometimes. Look at what Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, and if it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. I love this passage. If it seems we're crazy, if it seems like we're out of our minds, he's like, it's to bring God glory. Paul is referring to a specific charge. A ruling leader named Festus had basically said that Paul was out of his mind because of the way he was acting and some of the things he was doing. So he's like, hey, you know, if if we're crazy, then it's for God's glory. And he says, and if if we're in our right minds, it's for your benefit. Maybe it's time we take some steps and have some people look at us and think we're a little crazy.
Because when you start getting a little crazy for God, it grounds your heart. You, as a leader, as an individual, get on your knees again. You start crying out to God again. You feel like you're taking personal risks again. I mean, for us in our life, when I start thinking about some things that felt a little crazy, when we first launched a church campus inside a prison, it felt a little crazy. But then, when we started busing them from transitional homes to our church services, whoa. Now it's not just there. Now they're coming and hanging out with us, sitting on the row with us. Feels a little crazy, right? I mean, uh, the first time we invited an adult dancer, my wife and I, and her husband, into our small group as they were sort of on the spiritual journey into our home and we all sat around I loved this moment and I'm like let me introduce you to so-and-so you know and my whole small group's kind of like uh what do you do for a living <laughs> and here's the thing in Vegas I'm a stripper I'm an adult dancer you know the whole room's like Ugh. felt a little crazy when uh we took up an offering in the midst of the recession, which hit Vegas really hard. And man, we were being clobbered and we felt led to take an offering that would go outside of our community to help others who were in worse shape than we were. It felt a little crazy when my wife's walking past the four-year-old room and over here's a kid yell what he's heard at home across the room. Somebody bring me an up and beer <laughs> in church at four. Come on now. Starts to feel a little crazy, right? You're like, are we going to be okay? I mean, you know, Jesus, you're with us. You're, you're, you're not going to let us go out of the roller coaster, right? You're going to hold us in. Or like the guy, you know, he's heading out of church recently and, and he grabbed one of our volunteers and he goes, hey man, uh, I think a guy died up in the bleachers. You might want to check that out. God's my witness. I am not exaggerating this. Now, I'm like, he, okay, you know, so we're, the guy, the team goes up to the bleacher area, and sure enough, there's a guy, like, falling over the seats, because I had everybody stand at the end of the service, and he just, boop, gone. So they get the guy, and they sit him up, and the guy's just smashed drunk, you know, I mean, he's, he's not dead, he's just smashed, which I'm like, you know, at what point does it overtake you, and you stand up at the end of the service and fall over? Does that mean the guy had a flask during the whole message, and he's like, that wasn't a good point right there, I'll just <laughs> You know, like, why is he not passing out at the beginning? This is an hour, two hours later, and now you, now you, and then the, the guy, you know, like, at what point when a guy next to you falls over like he's dead, do you go, I better let somebody know on the way out? <laughs> I mean, like, at what point do you reach over and go, hey, man, you know, are you dead? <laughs> you all right? Vegas, right? Like, I'll just, I'll, I'll let somebody know as I'm leaving. You might have a dead guy up there. You might want to go check that out. It feels a little crazy. You know, my, we pulled up to a, a, a billboard recently, and I'm driving. We have a little minivan, a little Honda minivan driving. My wife's sitting beside me. We've got a 7-year-old, a 10-year-old, 7-year-old little boy, 10-year-old little girl sitting behind us in the, uh, in the minivan. And they're looking up. We're at this, this light, and I look up, and there's this billboard. And it's the backsides of six women in a bikini with no tops on. You know, and, and it's showing their backside, but they're sitting there, and we hear from my seven-year-old son, as innocently as can be, he says to his sister, he goes, Emma, which naked girl is your favorite? <laughs> I'm, I'm not making this up. And then he says, my favorite is the one with brown hair. <laughs> to which my wife turns around and goes, Ethan, 
we do not have favorite naked girls. <laughs> I'm like looking at Lori because I'm going, no, we just have naked girls, not favorites, just naked girls. It feels a little crazy sometimes. But you know, when you're taking risks for God, when you're praying for that friend who is far from God and you go over and have a barbecue with them and maybe bring up a spiritual conversation and for you, that feels really crazy in that relationship. What does that do? That has a way of getting you back out there, taking a personal risk, putting you in the perspective where you're now reaching on God, relying on God, reaching out to God. What's it going to do? It's going to ground you in your life because it's not about a spectacular ministry. It's about a faithful and a sincere heart. And when you stay a little crazy for God, it has a way of anchoring your heart and keeping it faithful before God. I don't know what feels crazy for you. Maybe it's launching a new church campus. Maybe it's starting a new ministry program in your student area. Maybe it's implementing some new changes in the worship or the arts area. Maybe it's some staffing changes that you're up against. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, it's a huge faith risk. But here's the deal. You're crazy and my crazy aren't the same thing. Don't go back and try to do everything that you've heard all the speakers talk about today in your church and your ministry. Go pray and dream and plan about the, the risks that God is leading you guys to take for your ministry. Because see, what I'm doing may seem crazy to you, but to others it may not seem that crazy at all. We're all different. You just got to do what God's calling you to do. And then don't make your crazy mandatory for everybody else. Don't you hate that? Like God calls one believer to do something, but then he turns around and starts expecting everybody else to do the same thing. It's like a friend of mine, you know, he felt really convicted that God was calling him to cancel, uh, uh, or well, to support a child through Compassion International. And the only way he was going to be able to do that was to cancel DirecTV. Now, I love my friend. I think we support like two or three kids, maybe four, through Compassion International. I'm a huge fan. I'm a huge football fan, too. I got the direct TV, NFL, Sunday ticket, record the games, the whole deal. And he's like, yeah, man, we feel led to you know, sponsor this kid. And I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. And he goes, yeah, I think we're going to you know, like cancel cable. And I'm like, what? So what about football? He's like, well, can I come over to your house and watch football? I'm like, well, yeah, you can come over to my house. But here's the deal. That was his crazy. It wasn't my crazy. God's calling me to record the game. <laughs> See what I'm saying? You want to know where I am on Sunday afternoon, right after I open that offering email and want to go jump off a cliff? I'm sitting there watching the football game, watching the Cowboys lose. That's what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing. But we have different things that God is calling us to. The important thing is when God's calling you to whatever your crazy is, go do it. Don't make it mandatory for everyone else. You don't worry about a spectacular ministry. Focus on being faithful and sincere before God. Here's another principle to ground us on the roller coaster of ministry, and that's to be compelled by Christ's love. Be compelled by Christ's love. Look at this, 2 Corinthians 5.14. Paul says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. One of the most liberating discoveries of ministry for me is waking up and reminding myself, Judd, you're dead. You're dead. 
Your ego's dead. Your need for affirmation is dead. Your need for people to stroke your ego is dead. Your need for everybody to approve of what you're doing is dead. All you need to worry about is bringing glory to God today and living in the new life that he has called you to. The old self is dead. The, the old security that I used to get based on the ministry scorecard of attendance and offering and all of that, it's dead. All that stuff is the past. This is about the new life in Christ. Paul says, man, don't miss it. Let Christ's love compel you or control you. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for who? No longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. I mean, think back to when Christ's love came into your life. When he moved in your life, I got a chance a while back to go back to the home in which I was raised in Texas and to go back and do like a home tour. You know, we'd moved out of the home years before, but they let us go in and I got to walk around and see all my old rooms. If you've never kind of gotten to do that, or it's a pretty cool experience, man. Our, my house was like so much smaller that I was raised in than, than I remember. But the most important part for me was going into my bedroom and I'm standing in this bedroom and I'm looking around and I remember like the posters I used to have on the wall, you know, um, Twisted Sister, Ozzy Osborne, you know, uh, there's a little cas- there's a stereo there, and I remember like cassette tapes. Remember those? Oh, okay, a few of you. Cassette tapes sort of stacked around there, and I'm looking at all this, and I'm remembering, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, this is this is where I grew up. And then I look on the floor in that room, and I just have this moment because as a 17-year-old strung-out teenager, that was where I got on my knees before God alone. That was where I would say I had my defining moment in my life where I said, God, I need you. Jesus, I'm not sure what it means, but I believe in you. I need your help in my life. And that was where God met me. And I just had this moment. We had a camera crew with us and all that. I just asked them all to sort of step back. And it's kind of weird in somebody else's house, but you just kind of shut the door. And I'm just like, God, I want to thank you because you forgave my rebellion before I became a believer and since I've been a believer, before I became a pastor and since I've been a pastor, you've been so good to me and what I deserve is hell and what you've given me is grace and I just want to thank you. And I stood in my room and I said, you know what, God, I commit again to ministry and to helping other people experience that grace in their life. And I don't know what that was for you. Maybe it was your bedroom. Maybe it was walking down the aisle at church. Maybe it was at a camp experience where you had that defining moment. Maybe you've always been in church. And, you know, you, you, it really has nothing to do with first coming to faith. But maybe it's that place where you committed to ministry or you gave your life to leadership or, or Christ just took on a new reality in your heart. I just want to ask you for a minute. Go back to that place and remember that is the love that can compel you and motivate you no matter what the ups and downs are in ministry. It's that love. I mean, I've been in Las Vegas. I'm in my ninth year now, heading into my ninth year, and we've seen some things the last three years. Crazy economic stuff, wild ups and downs in our city, going from boomtown to bust. It's interesting, when I meet with pastors now, like the first thing they ask me is, are you leaving? I'm like, what do you mean? Are you leaving? I'm going... I didn't go because it was doing well. I went because I was compelled by the love of Christ. And do you think a bad economy is going to send me down the road when Christ's love has compelled me to put my hand to the plow? I will not look back. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. 
I'm not saying it's easy. Some of you, I know it's hard. But I am saying when Christ's love compels you, you can grab onto that plow and say, all right, God, I'm hanging on. <laughs> for all that I got, I'm hanging on. And we're going to push ahead for you and for your glory. Go back to that moment and recommit, man. You didn't get into ministry for politics. You didn't get into ministry for bureaucracy. You didn't get into it for your benefits package, as Stephen so eloquently reminded us. You didn't get into it for all this other stuff. You got into it because God in his grace and mercy touched your heart. And his love compelled you. Go back to that and be compelled again by that simple love of Christ. It's the only thing that keeps me in the game. If I could do something else, I would. But Christ's love compels me. And the day it doesn't, I've already told God, I'm out. I love you. But if you release me, I'll go do something else. But I'm compelled by that love as long as he would have me and use me to reach out to other people. Paul says this, so verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. Oh, this is, this is good. Some of you need to stop evaluating your churches from a human point of view. I mean, I know, you show up every week and, and you, sometimes it feels like the same people show up every week with the same problems. You have the same conversations. You know, you get back to the same old, was it Tony Evans did the, this whole thing is a whole riff. It's hilarious, you know, but, but it, it applies to pastors too. You get up, you know, you get out of the same old bed, go to the same old closet, put your same old clothes on, you know, go downstairs, eat your same old breakfast, get in your same old car, drive to the same old church, walk in, you know, talk to the same old secretary, interact with the same old people, open the same old commentaries, get the same old points, put them down on the same old piece of paper counsel the same old couples, talk to the same old people, navigate the same old junk, get in your same old car, drive back to your same old house, kiss the same old wife, eat the same old food. You know, at the end of the day, you sit down in the chair, you watch the same old television, you go upstairs, you get in bed, you ask the same old question, and because you're not Groeschel, you get the same old answer. (laughs) Don't believe everything you hear at these conferences. You get the same old answer, you go to sleep, you get up the next day, you do it again. Listen, that's just the human point of view. There is more than meets the eye. God is moving and He's working. And listen, He's moving in the hearts of your people. He's moving in the hearts of your leaders and your volunteers. He's moving in your own heart in ways that you can't even see and you can't even define. So stop trying to. Paul says, we have stopped evaluating from the human point of view. We're not looking at it from a human point of view anymore. We're believing that God's moving and working even when we don't understand. Even when we're going 50 miles an hour in Space Mountain and we can't see what's coming next and freaking red hot chili peppers are jamming all around us. We're believing someone's in control, someone's guiding this thing, someone is going to lead us ultimately home. And that someone is God through Jesus Christ. And he's moving in all of these situations. Don't look at it just from a human point of view. He says, at one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. Driscoll would tell you that's Jesus with a beard and a dress. But he says, how differently we know him now. Not just a human point of view, right? How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life is come. A new life is come. And let that life be come and be birthed in you every day as you're compelled by Christ's love. Another thing that helps me just stay grounded on the roller coaster of ministry is to focus on the task of reconciliation. Focus on the task of reconciliation. Too many of us in ministry and leadership have gotten the idea that the church is like the IRS. 
It's like our role is to show up and tell people, hey man, you know you're a sinner. You got a debt to pay. You're going to hell. But, maybe, if you repent and you change your life, you know, maybe there's hope for you. And I don't know about you, but it pretty much sucks to work for the IRS. I mean, how would you like to wake up every... Sorry if you work for the IRS. How would you like to wake up every day and you work for the IRS? You know how I view it? I wake up every day and I remind myself, I work for Publishers Clearinghouse. Because the publish... Think about this. The Publishers Clearinghouse guys, they show up to your door and they don't tell you, hey man, you got this debt and your life sucks and you need help. You know what they tell you? You just want a hundred frickin' million dollars. And all you got to do is receive it, embrace it, and live in it. It is free to you. A hundred million dollars worth of grace because of what Jesus did. It is grace. And not only that, I'm not like the, the chum who shows up on Publishers Clearinghouse and I get paid an hourly wage, but I get to tell these other people they made a hundred million. I won the freaking hundred million too. So I get to show up as a guy who won a hundred million and talk to other people every day, all day, who also could win a hundred million and let them know, hey, this is about Publishers Clearinghouse, friends. This is not about the IRS. This is about you and I having the best jobs in the world, whether we're volunteers or whether we're staff members, where we get to go out and share good news in a culture that loves bad news and bangs the drum on bad news all day long. The gospel is good news. Don't lose that. And one of the ways I stay grounded is I just remember my job is to show up like the publisher's clearinghouse guy and tell my friends and associates and colleagues and people I interact with in ministry, hey, you just won $100 million through the grace and the sacrifice of Jesus. Believe it. Accept it in your life, receive it by grace, and let it transform your life. Look at what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.18. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task. What's the task? Reconciling people to him. That's the task. So you focus on that task. You hang on to that task that God has called you to. For me, it grounds me in the roller coaster of ministry. And I think of certain people. One that I often think of is a woman named Gabriella. Gabriella was at the end of her rope. Her husband had faced a lot of medical expenses. He had died and passed away. She had a, several kids. They were sleeping in a car for a while in the Las Vegas area. Then they got to a place where they were able to rent a place by the week. So they rented a place by the week. And school started and she sent her kids off to the first day of school and she was heartbroken because she couldn't give her kids any supplies for the, not even a pencil for the first day of school. So she made a decision as a mom. She decided she would prostitute herself that night. She would do whatever she had to do because she would take her kids to the store and she would get them school supplies for the next day. So she sent her kids off to school and while they were gone, she got in touch with her pimp and they got things set up for her to prostitute herself to do whatever she had to do to take care of her kids. And she was not an acting prostitute. Her kids get home from school and they come running up, running up to her and her kids have brand new backpacks on, loaded with school supplies. And uh, she does, she's kind of shocked and she opens up one of the backpacks and it's got a letter from our church in it. Because we do what many of you do, which is just a back-to-school, school supplies drive that we provide for under-resourced children in our, in our area. And she said she pulled that letter out and read, hey, this is just a gift to you from our church. And she said she held it to her heart, and for the first time in years, she believed that God had not abandoned her. And she picked the phone up, and this is what I was so impressed with. She called us at Central, 
And she didn't ask for anything. She said, all I want you to know is two things. Thank you, and I'm not going to prostitute myself tonight because of what my kids came home with. So we invite her to come. We invited her to come to be part of the ministry, and she began to come and began to grow, and she started to, I call it like kick the tires on Jesus, you know, just started asking questions and all of this, and over the course of the next probably six or eight weeks, she began to grow in her faith. We were ultimately able to help her get a job. We were able to help her get um, uh, another home. Uh, we had a, a, a person in our church family who's uh, gone through a tragic loss in his own family and, and because of that had all kinds of furniture available and he gave them to her and were able to move all this furniture into her home. But here's what I remember when I'm on the roller coaster of ministry. What I will never forget is her face the night of her baptism. And she walked down in the water, beaming ear to ear. And I just looked at this woman and thought, eight weeks ago she was going to sell her body to have enough money to provide for her kids. God's given her a job through the church. He's given her relationships through the church. He's forgiven her most of all, and he's empowered her. And what I remember is she come up out of the water, and she had both hands up in the air like this, beaming. And you know what? I'm on the front row, and I got both my hands up in the air because I'm cheering her on. And that is part of what keeps me in the game when I'm tired and I'm worn out and it's up and down and left and right and you don't know what's coming next. Your responsibility before God is not a spectacular ministry. It is a faithful and a sincere heart. And you stay focused on that and you're more than likely gonna have a spectacular ministry in a God sense. Thank you, let's pray together. God, we're grateful for your love. I know there's hurting people here today. We've been inspired. We've been fired up. We've been convicted. We've been challenged by your word. God, I just pray that you'll move across our hearts and just lift our spirits, take our thoughts and our minds off of the problems of leadership and the problems of ministry long enough to see the hope of the cross and the hope of tomorrow and the hope of what you hold out for us. Call us back to that simple, pure desire to serve other people, to live not for ourselves, but for you. And we just pray, God, as leaders, that you will help us be selfless, oriented to others, focused on the task of reconciling people. And God, help us ride those ups and downs in your grace and mercy. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.